it's sad that you don't get to realize this until you become older and you hit your breaking point or, or you hit some turning point in your life where then you have to go untangle all the knots that were in your life. Hello and thanks for joining us. I am your host, behavioral coach Jeffrey Biesecker. That was our guest, Lindsay Jewell. We're all on the journey to discover the light inside, that beacon which guides us to live our truest, most authentic self. This is episode 102. In part one of this episode, we explored the harrowing story of how Lindsay lived the emotionally traumatic experience childhood sexual abuse at the age of six. As we revisit her journey in today's episode, she vulnerably shares how additional incidents of sexual assault continued and how these disintegrating effects moved her further into her downward spiral. Today, we revisit this conversation to learn how she was able to find that light inside, which empowered her to overcome her trauma and pursue a more fulfilling life. Lindsay shares how she was able to heal and move forward. Now let's jump back into our conversation. So the state continued on second marriage um well i ended up joining the army the economy yeah. kind of fell apart so i was 28 and i also honestly was escaping part of my reality thinking that yeah i could get out of that relationship i, I mean it was falling apart already it was and then i felt like i should stick in that relationship because we had a kid and and that's another messed up societal belief like you have kids stay together <laughs> yeah but you don't realize are you showing your kids a healthy relationship you know, yeah. and um, you're not teaching them anything by staying together and it's unhealthy for them. And so, yeah, I, I joined the military and um, and went in there for a couple of years. And um, then see, I was like in my 30s when I got out. And um, this is where another substance comes into play. And that was that was pain pills. Those were very much a lot of people, most people that our ex-military, I swear you go in, you go into the military and you come out with, with a herniated disc from your back. Mm. It's just like a common injury or knee. I have, I've had knee surgery, you know? So, um, you know, the opiates came into play now. Um, to me, it was like cocaine, but without all the paranoia and yeah. it seemed yeah. longer. It, I felt like super mom, especially, you know, you had extra Very much energy. a total body numbing versus yeah. kind of the other experience, which yes, from my experience, tends to just shut the brain off. Yes. And so at first it was like, oh my God. And you couldn't tell you were high. <laughs> you yeah. know, you didn't actually experience because you don't actually, you stop experiencing a high with opiates. Eventually you just need it to feel normal. And that sucks. Yeah then comes like all those pain pills. And um, then when I got out of the military, I could still get them. I learned to manipulate, you know, cause I had an injury could easily yeah. do it. And then for all of this, like out of, out of the blue, the world said, Oh my God, we have a pain pill problem. The 
people are, we've always had these problems. I don't know <laughs> out why. Out of the blue, just, we're back into that <laughs> unfamiliar area again, out of the blue, but was it out of the blue? You know, no, you know what I'm talking about? Familiar pattern. Yeah. This was about back in the, what, um, 20, uh, well, I got out of the military in 2012. So about 2012, you know, to 20, maybe 15, all of a sudden it was like, we have a pain pill epidemic. <laughs> and it's like, we've always had these epidemics. <laughs> it's kind of like but, that selective distortion. What do I want to create for the new construct? That becomes a very observable pattern in our humanness. It's not to normalize it because once we normalize it, then we're simply accepting the thing we don't wish to accept. Yeah. And in my relationship at the time, like we were both because he was ex-military too. We were both on these pills, you know, and obviously taking more was prescribed and it was, it was addiction, Yeah, but we were happy when we were on them. Right. But when we didn't have them, our relationship sucked. And so, I mean, we both went to treatment and I really thought that would help our relationship get better. Right. That was, it sounded correct in a, in a, and in a logical mind, like if we both get away from this toxic substance, our marriage can get better. And the truth was it became worse because I, I kind of didn't get up as quickly as he did. And he shunned me for that. And he became more of a jerk, sober, actually. And it's just really weird that it made sense. Like I thought we'd get better, you know, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just crazy that our relationship really was based on feeling good on the false presence of addiction. Yeah. So that relationship ended and th with that whole pain pill epidemic, right. Um, they started cutting off doctors and made it more hard to get yeah. these, these medications. So drug addicts found a solution quickly for that one. Right. And that's heroin. <laughs> mm. So that was another step in my life where I just couldn't believe that I really said I'd never do heroin because we all have these labels of what heroin addicts do, what cokeheads do, what crackheads do. And, and we all have different labels for each category of addiction. It's funny, actually. I, I use humor in my traumas because well, I think humor is a, a great healing tool. And I'm yeah, not yeah, it can be. It. it can be as long as we don't lean too far in. Well, right yes. In for the replacement, for the mask, you know, does that become sarcasm that blinds something? Does that yeah. become kind of just that generalized numbing? Well, yeah. Yeah. So that's that fine line. Integrative complexity are those various shades of gray. Yes. Heroin addicts, we said, lived under a bridge. Crackheads, we, you know, add another label on them and at cokeheads. I mean, it, it just, it's just crazy. And so I, I really never thought I would get involved with heroin because that was bad, bad, right? But when you're, you're sick and withdrawing from opiates, I hope nobody ever has to experience that. It's absolutely horrible, horrible feeling where you need that drug to freaking see normal to feel normal i mean it's like the flu times 20 probably like covid these days who knows but um it feels like you're dying right without it and um because you're you know your dopamines have been taken over by a substance right yeah so yeah next i became the heroin addict and um by that time i was getting to my defeated point i was starting to get pretty defeated because now I'm a junkie, right? I'm a junkie now. So here comes um, a new category of life. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Here comes a new one. And um, I, I hate needles, but uh, the depression 
the just life in general, where it's, yeah. it was going, where it was. I couldn't believe that I actually didn't care. I wanted to die at that point. I wanted yeah. to die. So the needle and then plus withdrawing from pills. So I, I couldn't believe I, I started using needles and um, was now, yes, labeled myself as the junkie. Like how much more could it get worse? The, the second marriage then fell off, of course, right? And here I am alone and falling apart. I finally put myself into treatment because that's a substance that is very hard to fight off on your own where you I, you do need some sort of uh, inpatient treatment yeah. or detox facility for it. it it's just, it, it's too hard. I tried, trust me, because I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want my parents to know that I was on heroin. So I tried to get off of it myself and that wasn't happening because easily my mind would try to make it through the first or second day. And I was like, screw this. I can't do it. I can't do it. And for some reason, when you go to treatment, you feel safe and it's just, and then you maybe you're around other people that are going through it too. So you don't feel so alone and you feel like you won't make the mistake of going out and finding it. Yeah. I went to the, these treatment centers, but then I'd walk out and I was sabotaged because people would tell me I was going to do so great. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're trying to find that story again, that, but the familiar feels foreign to me. It does. To and that unfamiliar that you now still feel safe with. Yes. And I see that's one thing I realize now is that we get sometimes so comfortable in chaos or misery that it's normal to us and feeling like I remember the first time, like I'd really got sober, the, just laughing without drugs felt yeah. really bizarre to me. And I was like, I don't know about this. I, I don't know. And you get comfortable in the darkness, really. Yeah. It, it becomes, you, it's, you're familiar to it. You know what to expect, kind of. <laughs> but in that case, is it the darkness you're comfortable with or are we comfortable with the unfamiliar? I think we're uncomfortable with the unfamiliar, like um, yeah. stepping out. I think I became scared of the unknown because a world of positivity and a world of good things was so far fetched from my mind that it didn't seem possible. And yeah. if it did, I wouldn't have believed it anyway. I would have felt there's some sort of twist on it. There's some sort of bad intent. And um, I still deal with those kind of things today. Yeah. with just going have gone through trauma if sometimes if a good thing came into my life it's too good to be true and there's a catch and there's some sort of um something's wrong here that's what it felt like if yeah. something good came into my life and like i said i didn't realize that that relationships were another band-aid on the wounds that i had because i thought that if i could truly find this soulmate and, and that I could heal, then I could heal then, right. Then I could heal because I needed another party and I do need others in my life to help the healing process, but yeah. I needed at the time, the soulmate and, you know, and I found, I found friends and treatment centers and had the trauma bonds with them. I really thought at that yeah. moment as an adult, because when you're an adult and you've been divorced, where do you find friends? You're, you don't have college anymore. You don't have high school. You yeah. don't have these, these normalcy to find, to find friends. And I, I thought I found friends in treatment, not to say that they weren't friends, but they weren't healthy. 
but I didn't see that. I just knew that they'd been through pain, right? We had all this trauma and we had addiction problems and I didn't know about trauma bonds at the time, but it felt like, oh my God, we need each other. We need each other because we're both broken. We're all broken people. And so then I get involved with other people's baggage, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I, and I'm learning these, you know, I'm learning these things as I reflect on my life. We're, we're throwing all of our stuff into everyone else's stuff drawer. That's how I like to equate it. You know, we've all got that drawer in our household. That's just that stuff we put in there. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to cope with it. We don't know what to do with it. The best way I've come to ever illustrate that in my mind is all of that stuff in that drawer are like all of the things in ourselves we're trying to push out. Like you said, we're resisting them. We're rejecting them. Mm -hmm. We're not moving through them. We're not sorting them out. We're not putting them in their place or their location. If they're serving us, you know, we're not finding a meaningful service to us. If they're not of service to us, we're not forming that boundary and simply letting it go. All of that stuff, and it does become baggage, but if we're tied too much to that category label of baggage, sometimes that becomes the stuck. And so what I would do to not feel, I guess, my baggage is I, I do love helping people, but I didn't realize I was trying to help people when... Somebody put it, somebody put it in really good terms for me. You can't help people when you're bleeding profusely. And so I was trying to fix people's problems. I get involved in their problems. You're putting the oxygen mask. I just had a guest that relayed that to me in a very succinct way. It's like Uh that thing, the inner stewardess in you is saying the plane is going down, Mm -hmm. but put the mask on yourself Mm -hmm. before you help others. Yes. Great reason that. We're too busy putting the mask on others. And now what's happening? We're going down time after time because we're lacking that basic air that is ourself that feeds ourself. We're not serving anybody until we put that mask on ourselves first and breathe that clean, fresh air that gives us that new life. Now we can then go out and be of service to others. I'm good. Let me help you. Mm -hmm. I've found my space in my air. Now let me share some air with you. Well, and also isn't the message that has been preached for a long period of time and, and, oh my God, thousands of years is treat others kindly and help others. Nobody ever said help yourself. Yeah. You know, um, they said it no to yourself. It can be a but- gap. It can be a gap. And as we, we said very frequently, if yeah. we don't have those patterns to establish that foundation, it's all right. We've acknowledged that. It doesn't mean we have to continue with it. But we can circle back around and put that mask back on ourselves. The good Mm -hmm. mask of fresh air, not the mask (laughs) that's like a pillow over our face. That's suffocating us. Which mask are you choosing? The mask of fresh air or the pillow that's going to drown you? Yep. And that's exactly what it feels like when you're helping people, when you haven't helped yourself. Is that all of a sudden, for me, in my experience, I was left with nobody around to help me as I was dying, right? Spiritually, physically, mentally, bodily, everything in that state is in a deconstructive mode. Yes. Which is essentially dying. Yes. We're decomposing before we even pass this physical body. And most of the time, at least in in a, a a drug addiction world, the street life or whatever people want to call it. Like you can help these people all day long and they take, 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 take. 
And, and your beliefs, or at least my belief system was like, at least one of them will help me when I need it. And the yeah. truth was all of a sudden when I'm depleted of no energy and left <laughs> dying inside, there wasn't a dang person by my side. Um, you know, You're by still this time. searching for that breath of fresh air. Yes. Just that, like on that plane that's going down. Yep. Yep. And, um, during this time period, it was so difficult. And then, you know, in that dark world, there's so much bad things we know happen, but I was sexually assaulted by a gang member who, and stuff like that. And as my friend was taking me to the hospital, I, I honestly can't tell you what I was thinking. I, 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 I was so disassociated. I think at that point, that was the one day I couldn't find heroin. And yes, I was going to take it and, and have a lethal overdose. But so instead, I just bolted out of the moving car as we were going to the hospital. Um, I didn't even know what happened. It was crazy because like I did lose contact. I guess my friend thought I was dead. I mean, yeah. I, I looked behind me to make sure a car wasn't coming because I didn't want to fall out and a car roll on me and she be traumatized because I'm still a very compassionate person, I guess, if I'm going to kill myself, right? You're still looking for that mask of air, even as the plane <laughs> diving, it's spiraling. There's an irony in that. And, and that, those are the thoughts that went through my head as I'm thinking of like, you know, impulsively, and I did like, you know, I was angry at, obviously the situation angry at an event that happened, you know, the ambulance pulled up and I was like, Oh my God. And cops. And I was like, I am so sorry. I was just trying to get to the hospital. I'm having a really bad day. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't know. It's so weird when you lose consciousness, like from a, you know, cause I apparently hit myself. I, I jumped out so perfectly. I hit the side of the sidewalk concrete. Right. But I didn't feel anything. So anyways, I, yeah, I get into the, they take me into a big, like, you know, operating room. I'm like, what is going on? Why is everybody being so nice? I did not know that I had an injury. Yeah. It, it's just bizarre. Mm-hmm. Plus that, plus the trauma that just happened, plus all this stuff. And I said, I got to call my parents. I got to call my parents. And um, so <laughs> this doctor. <laughs> That's a breaking open literally of your physical body and that energy, <laughs> all of that bad energy. Literally just bleeding and leeching its way out. Yeah, I didn't even see. I I didn't even know I hit my. It was so weird. It's like I just came to. I didn't know I was even conked out. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, guys. I inconvenienced your day. (laughs) (laughs) Ambulance and people, you know. And there were. um, So yeah, I remember in this hospital room. I'm sorry, not a hospital room, like the operating looking room. No. I said, uh, I need to use the phone. That's all I can think of. I need to call my parents because they're going to be upset, you know? And all of a sudden, so I told my mom I'm in the hospital and she goes, oh my God, I've been calling everywhere. You were under Jane Doe. And she goes, I thought you were dead. So then his doctor gets on the phone and he, he's so nice. But anyways, he says, hi, ma'am, I'm the neurologist. I'm like, neurologist? Why is there a neurologist in this room? He said, your daughter jumped from a moving vehicle. She busted the back of her skull. There's bleeding in the brain. We're doing more tests. Because I just gotten into the room because we're doing more scans and stuff to see if we need to do surgery or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. surgery. And I'm like, I'm sitting there going like, huh? <laughs> 
Like, I know what I, I know I jumped out of the car, but what do you mean? Like blood in my brain and stuff like that. And, um, and if that's not, that's not like, that's bad enough, but like, he goes, give her a shot of, of, you know, fentanyl now. And I was like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. I'm a heroin addict. I'm just a junkie. You can't do that. He goes, I didn't ask you that because I didn't ask if you were, uh, makes me almost tear up. You know, he was so, um, because I'm not here to label you and judge you. Yeah. You're, you, you know. I'm just putting the mask on for that fresh air. Yeah. And um, yeah. So now the, day, the next day after that, I really felt <laughs> the head injury. And that's probably after my body had decompressed. <laughs> and, you know, because it's crazy how the body can yeah. learn to... Um, go through survival or trauma or what is the word? How it just survives without feeling it. Oxytocin, serotonin, a whole bunch of other chemical releases that kick into that survival mode. It's weird. Trauma does that anyway. Yeah. But it's weird how you think I would have felt like some sort of head hurting (laughs) after that. Nothing until the next day. I couldn't even brush my hair and stuff like that. So yeah, though that was another um, pretty difficult trauma. And right, and this goes back to like reliving the experience of a six-year-old, right? Because I was an adult at this time, and then I did have to testify yeah. eventually. And I felt all that trauma come back as a child. I'm facing a perpetrator. I didn't have to testify when I was a child um, at the court or anything, but I was reliving all of that. And um, at this time, I'm sorry, the the assault happened, I believe, in 2014. And um, it it didn't, the case and all the DNA and all that stuff took a lot of time. That whole CODIS of DNA takes years sometimes to come back, at least in Colorado Springs it did. And in 2018, I had just had my third kid. I got married again. Yeah, here we go with the same pattern here, right? But the detectives had called me to tell me they were pressing charges on him because all the DNA matched and all that. And I'm like, you kidding? God, you'd be kidding me. I just like literally had a child and three days later got called that they wanted to testify. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, and they were like, she's in postpartum. You can't, you know, all these, oh my God, talk about PTSD. Not that, yeah. oh my God, just like, oh my God, this guy's going to kill me. He's getting, you know, just can kill my kid now and blah, blah, blah. And um, I had to deal with that. And I'm sorry, I totally missed another skip of, of my not so proud of past, but just what I went through. So in my mid thirties, I, I was far into drug addiction. I was very lost. My parents kind of at least finally put boundaries on me and said, we're not going to help you out and enable you anymore. Cause I, as great as I love, as much as I love them, they, they were enablers. Not that I thought that was a problem. I was like, Hey, I could always run to them for help, you know, but they finally put some boundaries into place, which was one of the key points to helping me find, yeah. start yeah. learning for myself, you know? So I, I did end up with getting with the legal system, getting criminal charges. Um, we all know that there's three points to drug addiction or, you know, drugs, um, jails, institutions and deaths. And, and I, I maxed all those ones out. <laughs> <laughs> and that was another shame label. Oh, my God, because I had a bachelor's degree and I was better than these people. And I served in the military and 
you know, and now I'm a criminal, you know, now I have criminal charges and, oh, and that was failure in my parents. You know, I just, I felt failure. That's what my words said to me. And then the whole court systems was just focused on the addiction and it was like addict, addict, addict. That's all I heard. So it's like a, it was like, I felt like a child. I was like, I'll show you addict then. And I became what I kept hearing addict. So that's who I started labeling. It becomes the voice that you so often listen to. Yeah. So I was like, well, don't be so mad at me. I'm just a traumatic trauma, traumatized child with traumas who this is normal for me to do. Why are you being so upset at me? And that's another thing with throughout, obviously, life. I went through so many doctors who gave me so many different diagnoses. And I do, I just had this discussion with my my 15-year-old yesterday um, who, you know, struggling with the mental illness. Mm. And I said, don't become your mental illness too. Um, I do believe in diagnoses and all that. But sometimes we can fixate ourselves. If this makes sense, if I'm saying this correct, um, we can fixate ourselves with reading into every part of our diagnosis and becoming either the bad parts of it, or we don't really look at how we can overcome it or get better or manage it. And you're and, saying that in the way that you've experienced it, in the way you know how. Yes, there is no bestness. There is no correctness about it. It just simply is how you experience it. Yes, because I was, I've been labeled with everything. The one I agree with is complex PTSD and borderline traits, right? But if you read into any of these, they'll say substance abuse is kind of normal for for these these mental illnesses. So then I make, I could make it easily in my head that it's okay to use substance because I have mental illness, right? Or it's, it's, it's fine for me to do this because of my mental illness. And I start using that as a crutch. Does it, right? Yeah. And so I, I really kind of lean away from those. I, I do believe in managing the, however that is for anybody, managing your mental illness a way that fits you properly, yes. you know? And I have learned that labels have killed me over the years. And I, I try not to become them because I am Lindsay and I am finding out who I am and what I'm about. And you um, good girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, so, you know, my, my, my breaking point was my broken skull right now. Um, And I know that sounds, and I did make that a joke right now. Yes. But something did happen. I truly believe when my brain started healing from that injury and there is a doc, there is a medical terminology for people who have gone through head injuries and stuff that, something rewires in their brain and something shifts. And um, after the head injury, like a year, maybe a year, year and a half, I started liking different colors. I am spiritual. I I experienced some things that are... I believe that's in the area of your brain where your vagus nerve attaches. Well, There's a lot of work in that in polyvagal theory. I'm going to put that out there vaguely and I may be wrong on that. No, and 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 you can really I don't in that interaction though. Yes, yes, and I I I, I believe there was a link there for me. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I do because in so I can, many ways. Yes, and it was <laughs> it was after it was after the healing the the real healing because this yes. you know it obviously took time to heal 
from busting that back there because I hit the point where your your senses are because I actually lost my taste and smell for over a year and I thought I'd never regain that. Yeah. So when I was at really a bottom point in my life, I was in a jail cell and all this stuff. And I was alone. I was alone, alone from this world. I'd never been really alone, you know, by myself to reflect on myself, to think about my life. And you get to do that in jail. (laughs) And you're kind of disconnected from everything. You're kind of somewhat isolated with you and facing down that trauma. Yes. And so I, I had this moment. I had many moments, but I had a big, my big moment was I said, and I said, Buddha, Krishna, God, like whoever's out there, please help me right now. You know, um, all of the power of the universe. <laughs> I, I, I said, I said, I, I said, I said, I said, I said, who, who am I? I, I, who am I? Like what has happened to my life? And then I started thinking like, all I've been is who everybody wants me to be, what this world wants me to be, but, but who am I? Because Mm. half the time I get in a relationship and shut down the parts of me that somebody else didn't care for. Right. Like I love talking about aliens or ghosts or, you know, if they didn't like that, I shut that down. Yeah. And so I could never fully be me. Mm. Like I wanted to be an archaeologist, wanted to be an astronomer at the beginning of life, but I became human resources. So many other labels in the way, so many other roles and categories to try to form and be, where's the room for you? Yes. And, and I just was like, I've been doing what everybody else wants me to do. Yeah. Like, and, and of course being in the legal system, like I had to do what some people told me. She's in there, right? (laughs) She's in there, right? Yeah. And so, so all of a sudden, like as I'm in this jail cell, and I think I spent 10 days in there because my parents weren't going to help me. They're like, we're not helping you. I got to learn a lesson. I'm like, no. <laughs> but anyway, so I was reflecting and, and I had quiet time and I was just so looking back at my life. And, and this is when, well, I did get a cellmate and I, I, I did have some spiritual experiences to each his own or we yes. can label them whatever but i did feel we the got enough labels in the way right now in this yes world. can we clear yes. some of those out and just let them go something that was i could feel its presence yeah. as the only way and it was yeah. it is beautiful i did the learn message, about sacred. wherever it comes from yes and I believe it comes to however, <laughs> however each individual is designed to have it for them. It's like a, it's a personal. Got enough labels in the way. Yes. Let's get them out of the way. Yes. And so the first part is I started, I forgave the man who molested me as a child because I held so much. It was his fault. I, I had a lot of, I had a right to feel that anger and resentment towards that man. Because I felt that he was to blame for a long time about what I had experienced in my life. And, and, but the truth was he wasn't in my life anymore too. Right. I was continuing on my broken path by my own choices. Right. I forgave him. And when I forgave him out of true kindness and heartedness, like I never thought to talk to him and forgive him, forgive him. Right. 
like he actually got out of prison and molested kids again when I was in the military. And that was another big trigger point in my life. Yeah. I was like, Jesus, yeah. how does this happen to me? <laughs> you know? And um, the second part was somebody said, I know you forgave him, but have you forgiven yourself? And I'm like, mm. huh? And this was in jail too, right? Yeah. And not everybody. It's like, there's so many beautiful again. Yes. Going and back I, and saying, it's all. I felt like I felt like, and some people will say these in the healing journals, uh, journals, journeys, journals, <laughs> um, journeys, both. They all interact. That we see these people as angels in disguises, mm. and I do believe in stuff like that, anyways. Yeah. But the message is there at the right time and right moment, right? Yeah. Forgive myself. I was like, what? <laughs> and and I. So I met it, you know, I, and that's where I kind of learned to meditate because I yeah. thought there was a format to it. I'm like, can I fit the <laughs> format? Can I do this right? Like I'm emotional and logical is my next Trying to lump things back into <laughs> categories again, Cal- <laughs> the, the categorical self that's important here. The categorical selves are simply those compartments and labels we divide and separate. They create resistance throughout our entire life. Yes. <laughs> and, um, uh, so I was like, oh my God, no, I never, I never thought about forgiving myself. And <laughs> what does that mean? And let's, let's jump back in that drawer. Let's jump back in that compartment. So I, I did, I, I forgave myself for all the things just for whatever I needed to. And it literally felt like actual weight came off of me. Like I, and, and people will describe that as they forgive or whatever, that it feels like if I had weighed myself on the scale, I would have been like a hundred pounds lighter. <laughs> it's weird because it's free. It's free. It, it does something to your body. when Much you like start. our pre-discussion, you know, you're kind of getting things moving again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, we'll enter that. Maybe we'll enter that in some way. Who knows? You got to purge it somehow. <laughs> It's a, maybe we'll leave that an inside joke. That might be a yeah. little off color. <laughs> yeah. And so for some reason it, it was, I, I do believe when the student is ready, the teacher appears and I, so I was ready. I was, I was definitely ready. I had hit rock bottom and something was letting me know in my own personal experience that I was going to start healing. And that was a huge message that I experienced, saw, could hear, visually see. And um, so goes on my my journey. And um, no matter if it was the legal system, that was like those people helped me. They learned me. They they taught me routine and accountability. You know, like all these things that I've already known came back to life in me because also the military teaches those same principles, you know, and it's that breath of fresh air coming back. Yes. And it was I actually became like the person known as she's so positive. And I'm like, what? You know, that was the (laughs) first time because that wasn't here comes a a reinforcing, empowering label. This is becoming in a new relationship with unfamiliar. That was bizarre to me because in this time I was in my thirties, right? For the, that previous part of my life, I knew nothing but negative and dark thoughts. Like I used to be a musician, used to write me and I still write obviously, you know, but not in the music world or I wasn't, this was, I just play guitar and used to sing and do all that. But um, it was dark. That was a dark world, you know? Yeah, And there was no positive, like in my poems, they were all dreadful and dark and sad. And, you know, so it was so weird that 
I am this positive queen now. <laughs> and um, it's a simple reframing. Yes. And so I, I really believe like, that head injury rewired, rerouted. Putting stuff things in, in a brain. new light. And it was so I, I do believe everything kind of does happen for a reason or, you know, I, I don't know your own awakening to life or spirituality or whatever it is for you. It's interesting for me, at least, I guess I thought I was cured. All right. I felt this presence. I've seen the signs. I get it. I'm healing. I'm cured. And then you run into another lesson that maybe is a catalyst for you. And this was my third marriage, which was very toxic, very bad, abusive, but it, but I am thankful. One thing I'm thankful for is that it allowed me to realize that I hadn't faced all the trauma yeah. that I had been through. Yeah. It brought up every trauma and triggered every button. It's kind of that, like that backache that doesn't necessarily go away. You know, you kind of ebb and flow with it. Mm-hmm. It gets a little stiff. You work it out. It gets a little stiff. You work it out. Mm-hmm. Eventually, maybe you might build a little strength to it and kind of, move past some of that phase yes and so so this last relationship was i guess as they say the icing on the cake you know it wasn't just him that was it wasn't just like this relationship i mean it was (laughs) what are we icing that cake with though (laughs) (laughs) because like i said my relationships were the same storyline with each different person but a different like bodysuit a different character and as as life went on that's it exactly each it's character a got worse. A different character, but it's still the same. And, and I, it tripped me out. It tripped me out when I finally reflected on this. I was like, "How is it like the same storyline, just a different person? Except they did. They got worse and more challenging, and there was more." It's like the remake of an old classic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, we we put it back in that frame of reference. Hopefully, you're not inviting Prince Charming back into Snow White's life and you say part two is the part where we write a new story and this guy goes away. Yes. And, 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 and see, and I believe that and, and whether it's, you know, the universe wrote it for us or whatever, it becomes more challenging because you're going to eventually get the point. You just simply learn to be a more effective director of things. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you start to call the shots in a new way that creates the new scenario. Yes. And so as painful as, uh, you know, because grieving sucks, no matter what you grieve about, it, it, it's a very painful process. And I'm still going through it. it you it's know? a process you have to live through. You have to feel through. You have to think through. Yes. Hopefully you're not reacting as a result of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And so this marriage, you know, I just I got my third divorce. Um, it's like my wall of achievements, my wall of not so good achievements, but learning. And, and each relationship, I have learned valuable lessons. This one I've learned. I've took the most away from, though. Yeah. But um, this is where my healing has really blossomed, as, as I'm going to go with the word, because not began, it, it has blossomed. Um, yeah. And I've taken my life to a whole nother level internally. And I am on this internal mission of healing and figuring out what trauma, what triggers me, what, what you know, these false beliefs in my head. I challenge my thoughts. 
I do a lot of support groups. I do a lot of, I do therapy and I really process things and I don't react to things. I do healthy cope that, you know, cause you know, I don't use drugs. Productive uh, but, outlets. Yes. And scenario. Yes. Productive and outlets. I, I, I really watch my brain and I learn things, new things sometimes about the way my thought process works because there for a while, my God, any person that came into my life, I was like, I think you're dangerous. And I, I don't know why, yeah. and, but I've also learned boundaries. And that's a huge part in, in this too. Um, I was very good at telling you a boundary, but not letting people, I would let them walk all over that. <laughs> and that is a huge, a huge thing, different thing that I have done this past year now. And it felt really uncomfortable. And I, and, and I say, if sometimes if it's unfamiliar to you or uncomfortable to you, it's probably something you should be doing in a, in a healthy sense. Yeah. In a healthy that, sense. That can be looked at that way. And it could also be looked at, is it that comfort that I'm focused on? Or am I focused on simply the change? Now, that might be a signpost to pull it into your recognition. But don't get stuck on whether or not you feel safe with it or not. Yeah. Simply allow and accept yourself and your vulnerability if you feel like you're being vulnerable to it. If it feels a little challenging to you and move through that. Don't yes. let that state be the stuck point. Yes. And I am really learning now how your body talks to you. Meaning yes. as far as like, even like, Hey, you need to drink water. It's like, if you can listen to your body, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like it talks to you. And yeah. half the time we just don't listen and we do our own thing, but it, it's crazy. All of a sudden you'd be like, if you can listen, like you're here, I, you need some fruit. You need some fruit. It you know, surfaces. There again, are we looking at the label of what that voice is? Or are we just becoming observant of the message? Yes. What and is this trying to tell me and how do I make a valuable meaning of it? Yes. And I really listen. And, and, and when it comes to intuition, right, because we use that word, listen to your gut intuition. Yeah. I, I do have good intuition, but at the same time, I'm also, I've been through a lot of trauma. So I mm. stop myself sometimes and go, is it trauma speaking or is it real intuition? It's because those can get mixed. The difference those can get between messy. the question of yes and or yes, but. Yes, but is the trauma speaking that creates that resistance. That but is always a stopping point. Yes, yes and simply shifts you into a new yeah, a new potential. Yes, I sound like Elmer Fudd today. <laughs> We're talking about our cartoon characters. That was the Elmer Fudd <laughs> and hopefully this isn't all. Well, and like for, for for example, and I and there's a lot of people I think that'll understand this. I I mean I am still in a protective shell right now for my own reasons. I do socialize the way I need to. I, I'm learning stuff, you know. Do you feel you look at it as that protective shell or is that now you, Lindsay, creating that new effective boundary? I, I think it's the boundaries because I I know when it's unhealthy isolation versus recouping and, and processing. Yes. And, and so if that makes sense. But like there are times 
just because I've had a lot of not so great experiences with people that it's hard for me to be around a lot of people. So even going to Walmart becomes, it can become a panic fest in my brain of survival and we've got to get out of here quick. we got to do this quick and go. And so what I do, like if I do have to go to the store and trust me, I'll go to the store. I have a child, I need to get food. And, um, but when those thoughts arise, like say, it, like my brain sits there and says, we got to go quick. Somebody's here. They're looking at us or something. It says, Lindsay, all of a sudden, another part of my thoughts come up and says, Lindsay, what's going to happen here? You're just getting plates. You're just yeah. getting food. Like it says, what are you scared of? What are you scared of? And then my brain replies back. And, and it's just, I'm trying to explain it the best I can in my own brain because <laughs> it, it's challenging thoughts is what it is. You start to ruminate a little bit about it. It starts to become that redundant cycle that doesn't allow you to move through it. And and it, and it says, well, there's nothing really to be scared of. It says, Lindsay, you're just here getting like fruits and vegetables. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing to be scared of. And, it's, and then it, when I learn to challenge my thoughts, it becomes a lot clearer and more peaceful, you know, Yeah. for me. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, it's really taken a lot of, um, I, I believe in any any kind of like story though line. There's a breaking point in order, you know, losing yourself. It's usually a loss of self, right? Losing yourself to find yourself, and it it is definitely a process. And you have to be willing to to be the one that wants to do it. You cannot change anybody else's <laughs> um, <laughs> healing. Okay, it sounds great. I mean, obviously, if you're a therapist, you're in the right profession to. It's all in there in that stuff drawer again. And all of that stuff is all of the labels and categories. We're back to that notion. Sometimes mm -hmm. it just takes a little time, a little focus to sort through there and find what's of value and meaning. Like I do believe in the, the phrase, like my mom used to tell me for a long time, you got to love yourself before you can love somebody else. Uh, I just didn't, as a kid, I was like, yeah, whatever, that doesn't make sense, you know, or didn't want to, <laughs> you know, your way is whatever, that sounds lame or whatever, yeah. but, um, the older I get, the more I do, I, I see that, you know, um, like one thing, one reason I, I don't have a relationship or choose not to be in one right now is because I'm not done grieving over this last one. I'm yeah. not healed. Yeah. And if I don't heal, if you jump from one to another, you're just doing another quick fix, a temporary yes. fix to not yes. feel the pain from that one. And if you don't deal with the pain and hurt, you bring that into the next one. And I truly want a healthy relationship. And if, even if I don't, right, I challenge my thoughts. There's times it's like, I'll be alone the rest of my life. That happens to anybody after the loss of a relationship, right? I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. Nobody's ever going to love me or whatever those false beliefs are. Maybe one day I will have the healthy relationship I want. Yes, cool. And then there's another option that says, well, what if you don't? Well, I'd rather be alone than have another unhealthy one, you know? Yeah. Like, I'd rather... So I'm fine with myself and my, my children and then rather be into another unhealthy place again. That's that space you create, that safe space for yourself to move back in alignment with that secure attachment. Mm -hmm. You're moving past that old pattern of the insecure of reaching for that unfamiliar again. Mm -hmm. So, the, yeah, so these are, are the things that I work on. 
And I, I also have learned a lot through treatment centers and stuff of attachment styles. I think people should know their attachment style. It really helps. It's like a love language. It, it really helps. <laughs> and trust me, I've met people. I'm like, take this test. And they're like, why do you want me to take all these tests? Very because good. the more you know. <laughs> Those labels can be positive or negative in their relationship with them. We create that connection with them. We decide which energy we align with it. Yes. Well, I know that I want healthy people in my lives, yeah. but, but people wear masks in this world too. Is it the mask or is it that pillow again, smothering us? You know, that's the differentiator. Is it that mask that's giving us a breath of fresh air or is it that mask that's smothering us? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, this past, this past year going on a little over a year, I should pat myself on the back a lot more than I do. I have stayed strong. Some days have been tough and I utilize, I, I do have such a, a, an ex, had such an, a life experience and I share it with others and I talk freely about my traumas and my thought processes and where I've been. And, you know, all I could ask is even out of a million people, if just one of them if this made a difference in their life, that's all, that means everything to me, you know? And I don't think we ever get to see the effects that we actually do to help people sometimes. And maybe we never will, but I do believe just the small acts of kindness by opening a door for someone or saying hello to someone can really change somebody's life. Uh, You know, they could be having a horrible day or wanting to contemplate suicide and just by smiling, and acknowledging, I think those little things make such a huge difference in our world. Yeah, that Um, brings to mind to me that quote about that crack being the space where the light gets in. That vulnerability becomes that crack, that breaking open. Not only does it allow that energy to find its way out, it also Mm -hmm. does allow that new light and energy to shine in. I'm going to lean on that because that's such a great lesson to me. That's such the reason why that's the entire theme of not only the show, but how I tend to approach helping others. We can all see that in our everyday lives. We can all feel that experience it. And somehow it starts to make sense. Yeah. So I'm trying to see if I left out anything. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure. I'm working on a two-parter and that's what it's going to be this time because this really is one of those authentic, juicy experiences that truly creates value and meaning for others. We're moving into that space and just simply sharing those experiences. Well, yeah. And I choose, I, I, I don't know why some people are scared. Well, I guess if they're scared of their past, I feel like they're not going to, that's a slope. They got to get slope. over that. We they got to get down. They have to find <laughs> that slope and find their path up it or down it or through if, it themselves. Because if you, I, I believe if you don't yeah. let go of the past, right, it becomes your present. Yeah. And, and if you, and you don't want sometimes that to become your present reality where that's all you're focusing on is that past. Just like a good book, though, we can pick that past back up and hopefully reread it with new eyes. If that new story doesn't serve us, we can simply rewrite that book, become the director to create that new story, that new scenario, and that new outcome of what we want. Yeah. And and when I talk about like these bad relationships, I've learned the things that I've done that weren't so healthy too. Like I was a total enabler of people's bad behavior because I wanted to be 
loved and accepted and their protector or whatever. And, you know, so I've learned to become accountable for the things that I've done. I, you know, that's another thing that helps in the healing process is taking accountability of your action. Some people have done us wrong. I hate when some people say, stop being a victim. I understand that term. You have to ask those questions for yourself. Mm-hmm. If you feel like that's the role you're assuming, simply be acceptable and vulnerable to move into that and say, but that is where I'm moving. Do I simply yeah. change that role to put that breath of fresh air back on me and change the story? Yeah. And I, and I, I love this, this whole new, it sounds like Aladdin, a whole new world. Hey, it carries that theme. And if it makes the right <laughs> message, let the message shine. Let the voice come through. Simply open your ears and receive. Yes. We've, we've shifted to a, a really, we're shifting to a really positive, you know, be kind and just more positive messages, more natural healing, not so much medications. And, and just, we've kind of came a good way as far as trauma and, and healing and stuff like that. So I definitely have to be a part two, because I'm sure I'll go back in my brain. <laughs> hey, like, we've I got two parts this. now. We've got two parts now. <laughs> and that's par for the course because that's what was meant to be. Why fight it? Why try to label it? Why try to categorize it? Why try to, this case, put an unhealthy boundary on what might be said and shared? I think this (laughs) kind of puts the right icing on the right cake this time. (laughs) I want to thank you for sharing your story and being so courageous to step in that space vulnerably and allow yourself that space to grow through it. That is such a, a truly inspiring story to share and write. Lean into that and own it, Lindsay, with not necessarily all that you got, but with that belief that it will ultimately guide you to that place. I do believe that. Just keep believing, sister. <laughs> well, I thank uh, you for sharing this. We didn't dive into your book, and I think... Oh. That might be another guest round. The door is always oh. open to you, dear. Let's do that. Oh. Oh. Let's look at that as okay. a new visit and a new yeah. chapter. Yeah, that's totally, <laughs> <It's> totally <laughs> where, right. Do you have a place where our guests can go to reach out to you to at least connect with that uh, book right now? Yeah, well, you can buy that book on Amazon.com. It's called The Cycle of Seven, My Soul's Journey. And I am also going to be co-authoring with, his name is Dr. Stephen Neff, who also does some really great podcasts on addiction and trauma, which you can find his book. It'll be called Depression Lied to Me, which will be on Amazon. I believe it's going to be available maybe in April of this year. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. That gives us so much to look forward to. I look forward to following that journey with you. And I am here in any way I can be to be by your side as you travel through that path. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Let's see right. again soon. The human soul is a tiny ball of energy, which gives perpetual motion to the heart. Nothing heals the soul like laughter. Lindsay and I were able to share a bit of laughter today as we explored how she experienced both her traumatic journey and the path to heal. Each of us finding meaning in our pain in our own unique way. And this pathway for those who endure abuse is often one of suffering and isolation. 
Her healing journeys are often full of emotion, pain, resentment, anger, frustration, shame, and isolation, just to name a few. Just know that in this journey, you are not alone. Unfortunately, many people are the victims of sexual misconduct, and the right tools to heal from it often feel out of reach. If you've experienced sexual abuse yourself, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Visit today's show notes for a safe and comforting space to link, as well as additional trauma and abuse resources. As always, if you found today's episode meaningful or you know someone who might benefit from this message, drop them a note with a link to this show at pod.link forward slash the light inside. As always, we are grateful for the continued support of you, our valued listening community. Tune in next week as we share a conversation with our guest, certified ICF coach, Megan Warren. As we discuss the often limiting trap of self-improvement, find out more on next week's episode of The Light Inside.